Everybody and welcome to the Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number one seventy nine. I am your host Nicholas Minix. Joining me as usual during the off season weeks, Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? I'm uh, doing good. I um, I had a run in a, a water uh, a water splash uh, disaster where my computer actually I saw smoke rise from my old computer. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I knew, and it smelled, uh, from the smell, I knew immediately that my computer was dead. Um, and then I yelled and screamed and shouted and said bad words. Um, but um, we're back on, on, on track here. Uh, I got a new computer, new MacBook Pro, and I imported everything from my old one, so I didn't even miss a beat. And uh, hopefully it'll improve the quality of our podcast. That is outstanding news, I think, the end result at least, which we can say about some fantasy baseball players and some not so much. And uh, I think that's really exciting um, that you saw smoke, even though it was a bad incident at the time. It's kind yeah. of neat. It's or at least if you, you can look back on that and get a laugh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have some uh, – sure enough, there's been some – semi-exciting to exciting news in the world of baseball and that often translates to fan, uh, to exciting news in the world of fantasy baseball uh, here in the past week since our last program so we're going to jump right into that and just kind of talk about our off-the-cuff thoughts about those things uh, and beginning with the uh, trade between the cardinals and braves that sent jason hayward plus one to st louis and shelby miller plus another guy to Atlanta. Uh, I don't really think it's worth talking about jordan walden and the pitching prospect terrell jenkins i believe uh, but uh, it's obviously a move that, uh, I mean, not huge disparity in terms of uh, park factors in the changes for either the, the hitter or the pitcher. Um, do you the, Is there anything that strikes you about this move that says maybe one of these players will perform better or worse uh, as a result of the move? Nothing does to me off the top of my head. Uh, no, I mean, Hayward's going to a worse park. Um, and, and I guess Miller too for, for their skill sets um, in that you know Miller for such, to some extent uh, throwing high in the zone is important to Shelby Miller mm-hmm. and so going to a park that's a little bit more homer friendly is, uh, is I guess a, a small detriment to him but um, you know he's kind of already at the low end of his value so uh, I think there are a lot of other factors that would help him rebound um, I wrote about those today uh, Hayward, um, you know, he's going to a worse power park, but his age, uh, the fact that he could change his swing, you know, we, we, we sort of deride the, um, the, the, what's it called? The, um, change of scenery idea. Yeah. Um, and I think for the most part, it's, it's something worth deriding. Is that the idea that just like, Oh, you know, change the laundry and, you know, he's going to have a fresh outlook and everything's going to be fine. Uh, but you know what he is also changing is uh, personnel around him, coaching. Yeah, and he's changed his swing in the past from one that was a little bit more power friendly, swinging at high pitches, a little bit more uppercutty. Um, and uh, you know, you, you've seen his ground ball and fly ball rates change. 
there's a lot of things that have changed about his swing over the day, over the over his career. And um, if they see something that they can they can deal with, they I think they need him more to be a power hitter. In other words, the the Braves put him in the top of the lineup, and he said, you know, that led to him going the other way, and that that does sap your power. So. Uh, if the Cardinals say you're in the middle of our lineup and we want power out of you, I could see him hitting 20 homers again. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, something I didn't even consider or think about is that just uh, th- the role in the lineup uh, could change, and that's going to kind of change his outlook. Have you found, like, when you talk to players, is it difficult for them to make that kind of adjustment, say, based on if, if for anybody you may have talked to as far as, hey, uh, this is a guy who went from the top of the order to further down the order, maybe a Jimmy Rollins comes to mind offhand as somebody else who may have done that, but do they, do they, is it, is there much of a transition or? Well, Tory Hunter was the, is the name I think of Tory Hunter. Oh, right. Okay. Straight up told me, yes, uh, I changed from a pull hitting, uh, power hitter in the middle of the lineup in the middle of my career to, uh, when they pushed me in the second hole in in, in Detroit, I, I tried slapping it the other way and trying to get on base more. And you, I mean, it's night and day for Tory Hunter. You look at his stats he started going the other way in Detroit. He started his on-base percentage went up, his contact rate went up, um, and his batting average went up. And it's just, you know, that's uh, something that's that's brilliant about Tory is that that's how he sort of extended his career. Yeah, for sure. But and and relatively speaking, not for the rest of us, but uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like it was a terribly difficult transition for him. So. Yeah, you know, I, I looked up uh, the year-to-year correlation for pull percentage, which is I think sort of germane to what we're talking about. It's the idea that um, how year to year sticky is your pull percentage, and it ended up being about 0.7, which means that um, on a year to year level, um, that your pull percentage, your current pull percentage, this year's pull percentage only describes about uh, half of next year's uh, uh, the variance in next year's pull percentage. If you know what I mean, okay. in that, um, like you, only, I only know half of your next year's uh, pull percentage if I know this year's pull percentage. So okay. basically you're going to regress it halfway to the to league mean. So that I think that does leave for change in attitude. It's not um, it's not as sticky as, say, ground ball rate. Uh, ground ball rate is almost like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9. Uh, strikeout rate is 0. 0.9. Uh, so those are, I think, ground ball rate and strikeout rate, to me, are harder to move because that's swing playing stuff. Strikeout rate, I think, in particular. I mean, that just seems to make sense that those that's that, like wrist power, like you right. know, that's like you know, that's you know, eyes and wrists. That seems very uh, could be a really, really physical thing. So, um, so pull percentage, I think they can manipulate a little bit. There are these high profile cases in which they have done it, um, and it seems to be a, a real easy way for someone to affect change is to. Uh, and you know, I haven't gotten a hitter to admit to me yet that they have to look one side of the part a plate. There have been a little bit, you know, Brandon Moss said, I move closer to the plate so I can hit the outside pitch because I, I trust myself to hit the inside pitch. So there, there is a little play between the outside edge of the plate and the inside of the plate. I do think if most hitters were honest about it, that they kind of have to focus on one or the other. Mm-hmm. And that you can focus on the outside pitch and do something with that and then try to fight off the inside pitch when it comes. Or you can focus on trying to pull the inside pitch and foul off the outside pitch when it comes. Um, I mean, you know, it's basically the same thing. But I, I think that you you have a hard time really covering all edges of the play. I mean, a guy like Miguel Cabrera, part of his genius is he can do that. 
Mm-hmm. But that was peak Miguel Cabrera, and we may see that post-peak Miguel Cabrera has trouble with that. Yeah, I can see that. And so uh, for a Hayward, uh, I mean, a steamer projection of 18 home runs, uh, I, I think in the in the playing time, the 470 at-bats or 500 plate appearances, that might be a little drastic. But I would expect like a dip in batting average as far as, I mean, if he was to focus a little, just, you know, you could expect maybe a little bit more of a rise in strike uh, strikeout rate back and, and thus a drop in batting average. But the home run total of 18 period, I mean, it looks like something like you're basically saying like that doesn't seem terribly egregious given some context. I mean, I think the steamer projection based purely on the data um, without some context would seem kind of egregious because he has the 27 home run season. And then other than that is kind of really uh, somewhat disappointed in the power department, but that seems I mean, there seems to be there some reason to think that that's not entirely a bad projection, uh, a crazy projection. Yeah, you know, somebody asked me in the in the chat today the top forty fantasy outfielder, and I said he finished last year thirty fourth, and it was terrible. I mean, for him, it was a down year. So, I think he's absolutely a top forty outfielder. Um, you know, which makes him uh, a top three outfielder in almost any league. He'll cost, uh, he'll cost more than a he'll cost at least a top forty outfielder, but probably I mean typically I've seen him go as a top twenty five like a twenty five ish in there is about where I'm used to seeing yeah, him go. You know, the, I think the worst case scenario he's a he's an, a third outfielder that you paid second outfielder prices for. Right. What would be better is if you paid. Um, I think it'd be best if you paid for last year's season. You know, if you paid for a top thirty season, if you paid thirty around thirty. Um, that would be best because then um, there's also room for profit, certainly. Right, room for profit, and uh, I think last year on some levels represents this floor. I mean, he's still pre-peak, and and so just natural progression would would see a little bit more out of him. So sure, if rep, if rep, I don't rep, think I'd go to like you know top fifteen. I mean, I wouldn't want him to be my first outfielder in a fifteen-team league. I don't think. Right, and so I mean that's. Like you're saying, floor. I mean, assuming uh, without the health concerns, because I mean, basically played a full season. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's the I and I I agree. Like I, he's a player that I think next year I'd be willing to pay for in the right scenario. Whereas usually I kind of I don't want to say I, ri- I write him off, but I don't really expect usually well, to get him. Well, the star has fallen so far that yes, there might yes. be right. There might be there might be some profit potential. I mean, I think I haven't owned a lot of Hayward shares because right. you know he's been. Very expensive in the past, but uh, this year might be. Shelby Miller is funny too because, um, you know, I didn't, I haven't owned a lot of Shelby Miller shares either because as a top prospect, he was super expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always shared some worry about him not having three pitches. So I, I didn't ever want to go to the, to, to the, to the mat to, to get him. And then, uh, but now he was so terrible last year that now I have to remind everybody this guy throws 94. Um, he has a big, nice curve. And, uh, you know, for the people saying he doesn't have three pitches, the cutter, he's thrown 300 of them, and they've been above average on movement, velocity, whiffs, and grounders. So I think it could be as simple as, hey, uh, Shelby, why don't you throw a couple more cutters, you know, give him a different give him a different look. Because with the cutter, all of a sudden, he's 94, 88, and, and 78. You know what I mean? That's like, that's three... Really different velocities, uh, three different movements, especially with the two seamer. You've got tailing movement, you've got cutting movement, and you've got the drop, the drop on the curveball. I think the cutter could be it. You know, the change doesn't look like it's ever going to be any good. 
But uh, Garrett Richards never figured out the change. So, you know, I, there's something here that's similar to Garrett Richards. And um, and I'll buy a 94-mile-an-hour fastball any day. So Yeah, and I mean, as you could... <laughs> Just the fact that uh, I mean there there have been there was kind of an occasionally chronicled thing throughout this season that fastball command seemed to be really what eluded Miller quite a bit and that seems to be something that is fixable and not for the same reasons but or not entirely for the same reasons but you talk about some things that are fixable too I mean it's it's not like so I mean he seems like a guy you might buy I mean he or it's there's at least a potential buying opportunity I would say and you know I. You know, for the next transaction, Billy Butler in Oakland. Yeah, I, I see some opportunity there too because if people are too fixated on the a bad body, year, <laughs> the, body, the bad year, and the park, I mean, that could really uh, affect some some uh, projections and some uh, some feelings about Billy Butler. Uh, also, th- there is some risk with the with the Athletics that he falls into a platoon role and he's a right hander. I'm gonna. I'm going to go to that salary well. I don't do it very often, but yeah. he's the third highest paid guy on the A's. They've said he's going to take the field uh, as a first baseman against lefties. Uh, I think between that and DH work, he's going to get full time. He's He's been healthy for seven straight years. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and almost every single one of those seasons, he was better than twenty percent better than the league average, except for last year, uh, with the stick. So um, I see him, you know, being a sneaky play for. Uh, a, I mean, he's projected for two seventy six batting average. Why not bump that projection to closer to his career batting average, two ninety five? Um, he's projected for seventeen homers, seventy five RBI. I mean, he only had. He's last year was the first time he had as few as uh, he had as few as seventy five RBI. So. If you just bump that projection up to 85 RBI, uh, 75 runs, 285 batting average, you're going to have a nicer projection. And I, these are all steamer numbers I'm talking about. You're going to have a nicer projection for Billy Butler. You're going to have a nicer dollar value in your dollar calculator, and uh, you're going to be more likely to end up with Billy Butler. And you won't have, you know, said Billy Butler is going to hit 30 homers. You know what I mean? Right. You just, <laughs> take existing projection, and you're and you're manipulating it where you think. It makes sense to manipulate it mostly based on playing time, you know, mostly based on uh, playing time and and team issues and stuff like that. I think the Oakland offense um, was showed last year they're pretty good, so you can bump them up in RBI. Uh, I don't see why you need to necessarily bump them down in batting average. He's an up the middle player uh, with, who's had a uh, batting average on balls in play over 330 most of his career. So uh, I, I think there's some profit potential there too. Yeah. Uh- just, I mean, without getting into it, and I think like Butler is the type of player I would view as saying, I'm not, you know, if I don't, even if I don't ever get a chance to get into the specifics and just want to take a, a run like Billy Butler coming off this season, if if the if recency bias is set in with the crowd, then I'll probably take a run on Billy Butler somewhere. And uh, I think that's what makes interest. Now, to me, uh, Russell Martin going to Toronto, the first thing I thought was, boy, that's kind of exciting, but mostly because like they got some good pitching values last season and surprised some folks. And I'd like to think that, I mean, he might make their pitchers even better. Um, <laughs> so maybe that's not really the exciting part of the fantasy, you know, as far as, uh, I mean, sure. He might hit a couple more home runs. Uh, it's a, definitely a better ballpark for that. And some better ballparks in his division now. 
but I'm not. I, I the first thing I thought of was I wonder how this is going to impact their pitchers. Yeah, I think that is a great thing because um, you know we know he's a good framer, and uh, I, I I looked up one of the first articles on this by Max Marchi about framing, and and uh, it, it looks like framing um, uh, actually um, uh, ages well. So you know, here's a skill that ages well. He's going to a team um, with uh, a lot of pitchers that have had, uh, you know, I would say Drew Hutchinson uh, would count for me as a guy who's had control issues. Aaron Sanchez, uh, Daniel Norris. Mm-hmm. These are young guys that will benefit immensely from a one-one count when there should have been a two-zero count. Um, when you think you know, about the, I mean, typically. Because he'd be working with a lot of young pitchers, I mean, some of those things improve marginally as they age anyway, correct? Because they're still on the on the low end of the aging curve as far as this thing go, things go. So then on top of it, to get a little bit of assistance. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's important. You know, it's important for them because they're – right now, the depth chart looks like it says J.A. Happ in the uh, fifth roll. But I think what – the Jays need to be competitive is for Jay Happ to be their sixth or seventh starter mm-hmm. and for Aaron Sanchez and or Daniel Norris to work out. I think that whole rotation looks totally different if it goes Stroman, Norris, Dickey, Burley, whatever, as opposed to Dickey, Burley, Stroman, Hutchinson, you know, whatever. So in terms of quality, right? So if, if Norris can can step to the four and Stroman can step to the four. I think the Blue Jays can be competitive. I think that must, Martin will be a part of that. I like uh, Stroman already. This is gonna only gonna like me, make me like him a little bit more. I think Marcus Stroman could be m- maybe like my AL labor ace next year because I always buy like two $15 quote unquote aces in, mm-hmm. in own leagues where I'm buying you know the next level down, but I'm buying two of them. I try to get two number twos basically. Um, and I think Stroman could be one of those guys that'd be undervalued. Um, you know, there's no innings limit on him this year. He's shown the ability to get strikeouts. He's had good command, has a wide array of pitches, has velocity, now has a better catcher. I think all that stuff's good. I do think that there's some, uh, possibility that Russ Martin, um, gains back some of his power in Toronto because I looked at, uh, Martin's spray chart and I, I, I'd love to, attribute this to someone, but I remember somebody saying that he went the other way more in uh, Pittsburgh because of the park, and uh, I would say the spray charts agree. He went the other way more. It cost him uh, some some home run power and uh, probably helped his BABIP a little bit. So instead of the sort of 290 um, uh, single-digit power kind of guy that he was in 2014, I think 2015 will be a little bit more like his old self where uh, he hits more like 240, uh, but you know, manages 12, 13 homers. I can see, and I can see more homers. I mean, uh, well, fifteen plus, really, because that's the type of power. He, I mean, it's you know, it's going to age a little bit, but I like that ballpark for home runs quite a bit. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, just just overall the impact on the pitcher. Like everybody goes there and just hits them out. Yeah. Um, and some minor stuff we will get to real quick. Uh, J- Jeremy Hellicks into Arizona, uh, not super exciting. But and let's throw out the change of scenery thing. Is there anything to like about that move? On a, besides the fact that he's moving to the National League, I, I think that's 
I mean, really, that's the only thing that struck me uh, was the move to the National League. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. The one thing I would say is that it's nice. I was surprised when I looked at his player page and saw the double digit swinging strike rate. Um, so you know, he's still getting whiffs. It's just weird. He's never really converted in strikeout rates in his career. And I, I remember at one point. Um, he was part of the reason why I started looking into pitch type peripherals uh, because um, I know his changeup is good, but nothing else is, mm-hmm. and so that uh, puts him in a bad spot. And that I could see a changeup leading to a lot of whiffs, but not necessarily uh, becoming a great strikeout pitch because then they know it's coming. I mean, if you've only got that one way to strike people out. You could get some whiffs in different counts, but when it, once it starts to be a two-strike count, we start looking for it. Surely, I know, and I know that as a prospect, uh, he had a what was generally deemed a, a plus curveball. I think, and at least in the minor leagues, that was kind of the way. I mean, I, remember, I think Jason Collette will correct me if I'm wrong, sure, but I think that that was something that he had talked about. Was like that's the way he got strikeouts in the minors, but did not translate into the majors. And I think, I, I mean, some of these things could change. The only thing that could, I mean, the only way I could see a real change of scenery thing happening is is if Arizona had some great pitching development, um, kind of. But like, obviously, we attribute that more to Tampa Bay than we do to Arizona, and there's, but there's also a lot of change going on um, just throughout the organization. So it's going to be really hard to say, I think. But yeah. it's just, it's actually his uh, his curve is uh, above average still, so. He's pretty good in that department. It's just okay. Uh, 91.1 mile an hour fastball is uh, below. for for right hander. That's not, <laughs> and that's and that's Brooks, which is a little bit higher. Uh, usually, what do we have him at? Yeah, 90.2. So that's below average velocity, which he throws high in the zone, um, and he does that probably to to set up his curveball. And uh, I do believe he has a bit of rise. Let me check that out. Um, yeah, no, he doesn't really have rise. So. Uh, or he didn't. He didn't in 2014. Uh, perhaps he did before. Um, maybe. Maybe he had a little bit more rise in the past. But in any case, he's a bad fastball guy. And maybe you can hide that kind of guy in uh, in the NL a little better. Uh, maybe you know he'll get a couple more strikeouts. Um, but just I mean, because of the park, he might also give up more homers. <laughs> yeah, homers is a problem. I mean. He already has given up 1.2 for his career, and that was in, in, in Tampa Bay. So that's going to be a super risk. But um, maybe, uh, maybe he turns things around a little bit on the command front um, and, and does a Lily-esque season where um, he has like a 390 ERA but a 1-1 whip, um, you know, 1.2 homers per nine, uh, two walks per nine, eight strikeouts per nine. That's I think that's his upside. I think there's there's a little bit of Ted Lilly to him, so um, that that could happen. But uh, it's not that sort of upside is not really worth paying much for. So if you can if you can get him on the back end of a staff, if you can get him even in an AL only, I don't really want to pay more than three, four, five bucks for him. Probably right. I mean, you, you pay three, four, five bucks because you think he's gonna NL only, right? right. You think he's <laughs> he's he's, he's going to give you two hundred innings, which I don't even know if that's true because he's never done 200 innings, and last year he only threw 60. Right. Yeah, those are all great points. I mean, there's not there's not a great deal of reason to be tempted by the investment. The other players, the t- players that Tampa Bay got now, I don't know 
really think I thought Justin Williams was a hockey player. Um, so, and both of the, both of these players that they received are very young, um, haven't played above a ball. Uh, but Vasquez, I mean, the stolen base totals jump out at you. Obviously this is a guy who brings a lot of speed, assuming a batting average looks like it could be a problem down the road for him. However, Justin Williams, I think is the, is the prize. Um, okay. He may not uh, be a guy who hits for a great batting average, but there's still the na- there's still the possibility he has decent play discipline uh, and a lot of power, um, and, and that's what they're they're buying into. But uh, dude's 19, and uh, he played a ball last year, so um, I like to buy I like to own prospects a little bit closer to the big leagues. I would say he's not going to see a cup of coffee before 2017. Right. So that's, I mean, some players, maybe, maybe those names will come back into our periphery once again down the road, but certainly not any reason to get excited about them unless you're in the deepest of dynasty leagues type thing. Um, Tommy LaStella to the Cubs, that excites no one, uh, I would assume, especially with their glut of players who, I mean, he's, he's strictly a backup now moving to the Cubs, uh, I would assume, correct? Um. I would say backup plan, a little bit different than backup, because uh, Javi Baez could look bad again in spring. This is true. And uh, Or Alcantara might. I mean, I guess one of those two or both could disappoint and then. And Alcantara was playing center field. True. So maybe they like him in center. Uh, Listella has a decent spring and, and Baez doesn't. That's those are not. I'm not saying anything crazy there. Those things could happen. Lastella has major league experience. Um, he's going to go into camp knowing what he's all about. Uh, Baez might be pressing because he's a young guy. Didn't really have a great debut. Um, Alcantara played more and played a little bit better than Baez. Um, so you know these things all could happen pretty easily. Lastella could end up. And also Lastella is a little bit miscast as a utility guy because he doesn't have good hands. I mean he he's. He has bad hands. He has bricks for hands. And he doesn't really have an arm. And this, this is why he got traded away, is that he doesn't really have power, doesn't really have hands, doesn't really have an arm, doesn't necessarily have a position. He's kind of short, not super athletic. You know, it's <laughs> like, uh, but he does walk a lot. And so, uh, <laughs> Theo Epstein got a guy who walks a lot, makes decent contact, and, um, you know, could could uh, could be league average with a bat. Could be could be a, a guy. Could be a guy. Um, and you know, I think you have to plan for both the short term and the long term. They have a lot of long term stuff in place. This was a short term buy. Here, I'm going to give away a reliever. I think Aradis Viscano is a reliever at this point. Yes. And in return, I'm going to get a one or two year second baseman that allows me to. You know, manipulate Javier Baez's uh, playing time, you know, service time, if that's what I want to do, uh, move people around. Maybe Javier Baez ends up at third, and um, and uh, Chris Bryant ends up in the corner outfield. I mean, that that's what I've been saying all along. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, maybe Russell ends up at third, Javier Baez bus. Anyway, it's an acquisition of talent. I would rather have a, a maybe second baseman than a probably reliever. Yeah. Now, uh, Vizcaino, I mean, this obviously for any time in the short term quashes any hope that he has eventual late innings value, but do you still see that kind of talent potential there? Oh, actually, I think he does. Uh, there's an outside chance because 
They traded away Walden, uh, and the Braves got back a 95-mile-an-hour guy with a power curve that uh, at times has led the leagues in win percentage. So, um, yeah, he does have uh, injury issues, and I don't even know what his health situation is right now. Um, but uh, with Walden gone, there's at least a, a chance for a setup guy, and uh, his team is rumored to be uh, selling their closer, perhaps, or at least putting ah. their closer on the market. Ah, that's true. Okay, that's uh, and that's. I, I guess I thought, okay, this is uh, this seems a little more far fetched uh, than I, but I, there's a possibility that he emerges and he does. He's he's an interesting talent. Certainly not somebody we should lose track of. Uh, finally, I mean, otherwise, I mean, otherwise, if you're if if they do uh, send uh, Kimbrel out of town, they release Venters, uh, and then all of a sudden, I guess David Carpenter, and, and they traded Walden. So I guess David Carpenter becomes the closer, you know, mantle guy. Anthony Barbaro uh, is there, but um, you know, the. the 92 mile an hour velocity would be below or round average, below average for for a closer. Um, I don't think uh, any of the other guys. Maybe Shea Simmons has a little bit something to him, um, but I think David Carpenter would be the closer, and Vizcaino they would bring into camp, hoping he could be the setup guy. Mm-hmm. Carpenter throws 96 and has a has a good slider, and you know all of his rates have been pretty steady for a couple of years now, so. Uh, I don't see any problem with going into battle with Carpenter as the as the closer. So, but the problem is, Kimbrel's due thirty three million over the next three years. That does represent some surplus value because uh, a guy like Kimbrel on the open market would cost probably Papelbon money or more. So, if you could get three for thirty three instead of five for sixty, right, um, or or five for fifty, or, yeah, five for sixty, something like that, then. You wouldn't. You might trade something for him because you wouldn't have to pay for those five years. You wouldn't have to, you know, take that risk with a reliever. Um, but how much would you pay for that? I mean, it's still a reliever. So I just don't see a lot of teams that are like, oh, we need Craig Kimbrell. Like, you know, it, maybe the Tigers. You could convince them that he would solve their bullpen issues. Um, but the Tigers' system is not that sweet anyway. Yeah, and. It it does seem it does seem pretty pretty far fetched to see Kimberl on the move, um, at least more so than some of their other assets that they may still sell off. Finally, uh, Juan Francisco goes to Boston, the uh, the best uh, the best platoon DH in the business, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I guess this creates a potential at least for uh, a platoon at third base with maybe a, a Will Middlebrooks or something like that. I mean, this is this is it's probably it, I mean it may be even an insignificant move because he could be on another team by the time spring training starts or another team or two. Uh, he was. Yeah. You never know what uh, what this does for negotiations. You know, I mean, these guys are all talking very informally with each other now. Now uh, Boston can say, "Hey, we've got a third baseman. His name is Juan Middlebrook." Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're looking at Middlebrook's one year uh, platoon splits. Don't do that because. Uh, first of all, it'll hurt your eyes. Uh, <laughs> had an 18 WRC plus last year against lefties, which was supposed to be the, the good side because he's a righty. Uh, that that means that uh, 82%. Uh, he was 82% worse than league average last year against his the hand he's supposed to be good against. But uh, if you look for his career, 
Um, he's above average against lefties. He is a righty. You don't look at one-year platoon splits. Uh, they're not predictive. And, um, you know, paired with Ryan Francisco, it could be a cheaper option. What they have to do is make a move like this so that they can say, worst-case scenario, we go in with this. We probably get a win, win and a half out of third base. And um, this leaves us money to buy Lester, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I can't help but think it – I mean – uh, if the, say the Red Sox go into next season uh, with M- Middlebrooks as part of the plan, and he's out of options, like they they can't hide him in the minors like they've done the last couple of seasons, and that's probably how they were looking at third base at this point, saying Middlebrooks and I guess maybe a Brock Holt also can't. But like, yeah, the Red Sox are also out of <laughs> options, and um, yeah, they, you know, and Brock Holt probably better cast somewhere in the outfield but uh, now that outfield is super uh super crowded so you know they're, they're getting crowded but they're doing it on purpose they're trying to get as many people on that roster as possible trying to get everybody um you know down to 40 40 guys that could help in the major leagues next year and if they buy not, one lose one of those guys right i, I like yeah, it's kind of the way I think we have talked about a little bit kind of the way we approach with our fantasy rosters. I want to accumulate as much talent as possible. And then um, when, you know, when something surprisingly good comes along. Then make the hard decision about who to cut. Right. And that's not really a bad way to go. Um, and, and uh, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves running into that problem in the outfield because although, I, I mean, I guess – with the, with the decline in offense, period, uh, sometimes it's hard to find a good fifth outfielder or even in a mixed league uh, these days. Actually, it's pretty darn hard. Um, but we, we, had some interesting, we had some interesting finishes in the outfield rankings, I think, uh, which is not unusual. J.D. Martinez comes to mind. He was one of my favorites uh, to come from nowhere. Um, well, just to touch on Martinez, we've already talked a little bit about Jason Hayward. We'll get to a couple of other guys um, before that. But uh, Martinez, I think that there's a lot of reason to buy into this kind of uh, career resurgence. Not to say that I have no idea what a player like this is going to cost next season. But uh, if it's if it's still if it's if it's kind of a if it's a skeptic's cost, I think I could pay it for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I like there was a great breakdown by Dan Farnsworth about how he changed his approach to the play. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, I re- uh, remember reading that. He he's always had power in the minor leagues, so uh, I don't think that his two thirty eight ISO was fluky. There was definitely many seasons in the minor leagues where he showed at least that much power. Um, so that part's not so fluky. Obviously, the three eighty nine Babbitt is, is. I mean, <laughs> I say obviously, I think it's it's fluky. But that doesn't matter. I mean, he, he can be more valuable um, with a, with a worse batting average, you know, with more playing time. Um, I don't know what to say about the six stolen bases. That's a little weird. Uh, it's the most he's ever put up in a season uh, for his career. Um, I would skip that in a projection. <laughs> you know, Steamer has him back up for six again, and I don't, I'd drop that down to two or something. Yeah. Um, I don't know why Steamer improves his strikeout rate, though. Um, I mean, his swing strike rate has been pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And that's my the only reason I'm a little worried, worried about him is, like, you know, 25% strikeout rate. Might find some exploitable holes. Um, you know, the batting average could really tank. 
He's not going to help you with uh, on base percentage in terms of you know walk rate. Um, there's some there's some collapse uh, uh, in there. I think you know he's 27. Could have been his peak year. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I'm certainly not bullish on him. I mean, I think like he's well, he strikes, and this is the kind of player where when the crowd comes to looking and they say JD Martinez. Well, we saw this guy flame out already in previous stops. He couldn't hang on in Houston, da 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 da, da. and now he has this great season this is one of those one-year fluke type things and i think the change in approach has helped him to become a better hitter even if it's not nearly as good a hitter as he was last season and so if i had to pay say in a mixed league i pay i have the top like in the final third of a an auction or something like that i'd be willing to do that like i said i mean there's still so there's still some potential collapse there so uh if he does it's not it's no different from me paying that kind of similar price for him uh, on some other player who's just as capable of doing that. Yeah, I mean, the good news in terms of team, uh, you know, and roster situation right now is that if the Tigers don't make another move in the outfield, they need J.D. Martinez. So they're going to run him out there a decent amount. Um, I mean, right now, Anthony Goes is slated as their center, starting center fielder and Rajai Davis is their starting left fielder. Both of those guys should probably be in one platoon. So even if a guy like Stephen Moya, um, who you know has made some top prospect lists, he was the Double A Eastern League MVP last year. Um, he strikes out a lot more than Martinez, but he has a lot of power. If Moya somehow pushes himself into the picture, uh, there's still room for them to run DJ Martinez out there because they can play Moya at one corner, and then play JD Martinez in the other corner and platoon Davis and goes up the middle. So. Uh, there's not a uh, there's not a collection of outfielders in in Detroit that are going to make JD Martinez go away, and that is good for him. <laughs> uh, and, and good for here's here's one that surprises me. Um, Jason Worth is um, well. First of all, where does this I mean great batting average come from? Which he's done uh, in. He did it in his final season with the Phillies, which seemed kind of a bit more of a fluke, a Babic, a Babic product. But uh, he's done it in each of the last two seasons as well. Uh, and there seems to be sure there's been a, some uh, some improvement of his strikeout rate. Um, he is 35, however, it'd be 36 uh, early in next season. I mean, it strikes me as a player that seems to be kind of this, the stringing strike rate has really declined, I guess, from his years with the Phillies, but I, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that he has changed that much without, uh, other than looking at the swinging strike rate. I mean, what is he doing differently or is it just, do, do players typically make this kind of change? I mean, it seems to me that it's kind of, he's kind of doing the opposite. Can he continue to do this as he gets into his mid thirties and later? Yeah, I think actually he's sort of refining where he swings. Um, if you look at his heat maps, he definitely likes the ball up and in. And um, I think that's the source of his power uh, to some extent, is uh, is pulling the ball up and in. Um, and earlier in his career, he used, to, he used to swing at pitches that were inside off the plate and up off the plate. You can see that in 2009, 2010. Um and in the last two years, he's really refined that uh, swing percentage, um, that sort of heat map, uh, to just inside the zone, inside and up. 
So he basically doesn't swing at it as much off the plate uh, inside or off the uh, above the zone too much. So high ball hitter who kind of refined uh, where he was swinging, um, but still has a big long swing. I think that's how you get, you know, decent strikeout rates despite good swinging strike rates. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, some of this stuff comes with age, but at 35, you, you've already, you're already seeing the, the, the stone base stuff come down. You're seeing the power come down. Um, I wouldn't project him for much more than he did last year. Plus I think there's some health issues. Um, he's only had three or four, uh, healthy seasons in his whole career. Mm-hmm. So, and now he's older. <laughs> I also distrust him when I have to pay full price. Yeah, that's typically my, been my approach on him, and I guess I, that's I don't want to say that's burned me, but someone else has benefited typically because of that. Uh, so it just makes me. But I don't. I, I still probably and perhaps again to my detriment may not be going to that well before someone else does next season. It, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I, I think. Uh, Overall, I wouldn't. I, I guess, I, yeah. Projection uh, is probably a pretty fair one. Two eighty-five and seventeen homers, uh, in about five hundred at bats. Kristen Yellick is a player we talked about a little bit on this program before, um, but you talked about the fact that, and, and Mike Podhorzer, I believe, is who wrote about him too. Uh, interesting player because, as you said, I mean, it's not too hard to envision, you know, regressing his ground ball rate to something closer as it, like as he ages and this being a guy who hits uh, double digit or better home runs and or even more for more power uh, in the not too distant future. Um, you know, you know what I said about uh, ground ball rate being super pretty sticky year to year. Forget mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm kidding. The, uh, the only wrinkle I would say to ground ball rate being sticky is that ground ball rate does have an aging curve. Um, right. Which That's I think is actually an to. interesting thing to say. Is that you're going to say something about that? Well, I was kind of get, trying to say that in a in a, a in a less neater way. Like I just wasn't saying it very well. But that's kind of what I was getting at. As he ages, not really regressing because it's that's certainly not regression for him. But that it would age right. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could call it regression the league average because he's an he's an he's an outlier. But right. Uh, I think it's a little bit different because it, the fact that it has an aging curve suggests that most hitters want to hit for power. And that um, one of the engines for hitting for power is hitting more uh, fly balls. And if you look at the aging curve for ground balls, hitters gradually hit more fly balls until their late 20s, and then they start hitting more ground balls again. Mm-hmm. And then you pair that with the fact that you know that most pitchers want you to hit a ground ball. Um, and I think it all makes sort of sense, which is that uh, you come into the league you know, just trying to make contact, um, maybe a little bit smaller and thinner um, and younger. Unless you're happier bias. As you get bigger and as you start looking at the fences and, and, and believing in your power, you start hitting with more loft. Um, and then as you get older, the pitchers start beating a little bit more. So, um, you know, there he, he, 63% his first time through um, in what, in 273 PAs, that's stabilized. Uh, last year, 660 plate appearances, 61 percent ground ball rate that's stabilized so um you know maybe this is already baked into the projections because his iso was 108 the first year uh, in a related matter his iso last year his isolated slugging was 119 last year and yelich is projected for um a 136 iso next year so maybe that's all baked in um 
they don't actually show us the steamer projected ground ball rate. Um, but you know, if you look at a guy, the, the, the cautionary tale is Eric Hosmer. Um, and in, in some ways, the uh, uplifting tale is Jason Hayward, because Jason Hayward did make a sort of lurch forward in fly ball rate. And that was, I think, some of the nemesis, the nemesis, the, some of the driving factor behind his 2010 where he broke out and hit a lot of homers. Mm-hmm. So I like, what I would do is buy Yalek's steamer projection uh, with a serious eye for a 2020 season. I think that there is a serious chance he can do it. Uh, because even if he can even hit, um, you know, 55% ground balls, 50% ground balls, I'm, I'm going to pull up a leaderboard now. Of um, That'd still put him, actually, I mean, he'd still be around the league leaders in ground ball rate, which is interesting, but it's not not really a huge deal, again, because he has... But I, I think it would take him out of um, some of the light-hitting uh, yes. sort of Van Revere territory. Agreed. Uh, I mean... Ben Revere, 60% ground ball rates uh, was Yelich, Jeter, Ioki, and Revere. That's, you don't, for power, you don't want to live there. Uh, but, uh, you know, around... The, kind of the physical power that he possesses is clearly better than all of theirs. Right, right. yeah, I, I didn't mention that, but, you know, scouts have always liked his power, and there was definitely, he's a young guy, you know, there was, power's been dreamed upon him for a while. Uh, let's let's just go down the leaderboard from sixty percent. Howie Kendrick. Now you're starting to talk about a little bit. Uh, Adam Eaton. Nope. D. Gordon. John Zagura. Elvis Andrews. These guys are beating the ball on the ground. Right around fifty-five percent. Things change. Alan Craig. Robinson Cano. Anderson Simmons. Hunter Pence. Yasiel Puig. Eric Hosmer. Joe Maurer. So you know Ian Desmond has a fifty percent ground ball rate. Sinsu Chu. Uh, so I think he could hit eighteen to twenty homers. Uh, I, I realize his home park is working against him, but uh, the, the way that I deal with this sort of thing is, um, you know, add a dollar, you know, buy the projection uh, that says he's going to hit 270 with 10 homers and 20 stolen bases, and then add a dollar to it because you like him. I mean, right. That's a good way to look at it. Now, the question just becomes because he finishes the top 25 outfielder, does he actually cost – can he get away with that cost? And that I think that will be an interesting – because there's got to there's, – there's also the other side that you could look at and say you know, there's skepticism because of the ground ball rate and because of some other things that maybe – that he kind of exceeded expectations. Also, uh, the lack of like any standout um, number. number. Right. <laughs> you know, no, no hundred runs. I mean, I think a lot of his value came from those ninety-four runs. If you're talking about the valuation on our on our website, right? Because other than the ninety-four runs, nine homers. You don't even have. He has twenty-one stolen bases. You don't have twenty-five or thirty. You can point to. I mean, he hit two eighty-four, but he didn't hit three hundred. So I, I think um, he's not a name. So right. sharps may be all over him. Um, I think your standard Yahoo friends and family type league. Um, you can get him, you know, for your bench and laugh at everybody. Uh, <laughs> it may be hard to beat other sharps out for him, uh, but uh, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Now, and now, this is a player I was not real keen on, Starling Marte coming into this season, um, because I thought some similar issues potentially with the average on balls in play. But just in general, I mean, just seemed like there was a little bit of collapse potential, and he started off that way but didn't finish that way. And really, I think all things considered, what people paid for him 
typically most people probably overpaid for him, uh, but the loss really wasn't that great, and they had to be pleasant surprised. Uh, is Starling Marte that kind of reliable player? He's a little bit of a high strikeout guy, at least for now. Has a little power. Of course, we know speed is a big attribute, and that's ultimately why you're going to buy him. Not quite. I mean, I wouldn't put his um, – I mean, his his kind of ceiling production, I wouldn't put it really as good as as uh, a Yellick's in terms of power because I think that there is certainly more power uh, with Yellick down the road. But Marte is probably we – have, We've had more – I mean, he's 26, and we yeah. have 1,300 play appearances, so – you know, we have a way better idea of what Starling Marte is. And, you know, Chris Swick wrote a great piece about his personal biases and, and biases and however you want to say that crappy word. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so mad at that word right now. Oh, my God. Everyone accused me of being biased because I wrote a piece about why maybe the Billy Butler deal wasn't crazy. I don't understand, man. I, I, will, write a, I will write about anything that anybody that everybody has decided is true. If everybody decided that, you know, whatever next deal comes up is awesome, I'm going to be super interested in why it wasn't awesome. Right. Um, so I know exactly I, what you mean. I it's, always want to see the other side. Yeah. Don't, um, so to play the contrarian, you find when you do that, you find out more things uh, than you yeah. realized. And yeah. I, my my favorite example is I, I don't know if you were at the, you know the baseball HQ first pitch forums and uh, several years ago we did one of these debate things and um, the invitation was to take the for or against side of Albert Pujols and whether he would not still be a thirty dollar player in uh, two years or in three years and I said and no and it turned out like I was the only one who was willing to do that one like no one else wanted to do it they were going to take it off the card and I was like well I'll do it and I just you know, it's like, and it turned out like, I mean, the fade was coming, but like, I mean, there were, there was a point where people thought that Pujols was invincible as a fantasy player or a player period. Yeah. And yeah. clearly we see that that's not the case. Like, let's not make yeah, a bunch right. of assumptions. Form, the question was, uh, is Trout a number one pick? And, and, you know, Ron was laughing about it. Um, and, you know, even he had to admit that he was probably a number one pick again, but, um, you know, Ron had really great points about BABIP and strikeout rate and, the, you know, things that, you know, Trout doesn't actually do that well. But Trout hits the ball so damn hard it doesn't matter. Right. But, you know, with, with Marte, uh, there is some of that where it doesn't look good. Some of the things don't look good. Real bad walk rate, bad strikeout rate, bad swing and strike rate, huge BABIPs. Um, but he's very athletic. So I think he's got the two, this, this sort of the legs to – you know, add some some base hits there, um, and you know, sort of sort of wrist power to sort of flick some balls into places where um, you know he might get a hit where he might not necessarily be supposed to get a hit. So there's definitely some athleticism that works against the refined stuff that I and I came into fantasy baseball the same thing. My first my first aha moment in fantasy baseball was. Oh wow! You know, if I look for guys that have good walk rates and, and good strikeout rates, those are good players for the most part, and they usually get playing time, and they're usually pretty good year to year. Um, and that's that was the way I first won my fantasy leagues, you know. <laughs> but uh, we all have to move on from the first thing we learned. <laughs> um, one of the second things I learned was that there are always going to be players that don't look good. Your Brandon Phillips guys, um, you know, that don't fit your mold, that still work. 
Um, but you know what I would say is, it, I wouldn't be too hard on, and I wouldn't have Swick be too hard on himself because the types of things that Marte does are not the types of things that age well or are in the large bucket. Right. In terms of you know, normally a guy with a 370 BABIP doesn't necessarily put it up again. And normally a guy with a bad walk rate has a bad strikeout rate. And normally stolen bases age poorly. So these are all top of he's not that, he's not a terribly efficient base dealer. You have to wonder at some point, does Pittsburgh put the the, the stop sign on for him a little more often? Yeah, he's projected for 31 stolen bases and 16, stolen, and 16 caught stealings. And uh, I wish I could do that math in my head, but I can't. It's roughly uh, that, it's roughly two thirds, which is not good it's at all. Less than 65.9, <laughs> and the, the the break even point is around 67, 68. So uh, that that would mean that he was causing his team, um, uh, costing his team uh, value on the base pass with the stolen bases. Mm-hmm. If if that projection comes true, in which case the 31 would be less likely to happen. Yeah, exactly. That's so you have. To look, I mean, he's he's approaching peak. And like this, you know, the next couple of years might be the good times to own him. But after that, like, yeah, I mean, I've got him in an on-base percentage league, um, and it's a keeper league. And you know, just looking at him, like, I mean, I have to keep you, but I've got him and, and McCutcheon, and it's just so weird. You know, it's just like trade him. <laughs> I I kind of feel like I should trade both or, or trade one. I don't know. I I I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it. Um, but, um, but for now, you know, what can you do is shrug, uh, uh, you know, pay for the projection, uh, which means if we're all sitting here paying for steamer projections, we're not going to own Stanley, uh, Sterling Marte next year. Right. Seem, it would seem so. Cause most people, if people are looking at 291, 280 batting averages, they're not going to pay for a 276 batting average. Um, so I do uh, think you know, adding a couple of homers, that's certainly possible, although the playing time is different in the projection. But. Guy, I mean, yeah, I don't know why he lost playing time. I guess he's a righty. Were they sitting him against lefties or was it an injury? Uh, I think if you um, – I believe – I mean, he slumped early in the season. There was always uh, – Yeah, I they guess, were talking about sitting him and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I have to – of course, that was definitely an issue for Gregory Polanco, but I don't recall if that was one for Marte. Uh, I'm not sure also if he had a health thing, and I'm looking he at it. He had missed two weeks from a concussion. Ah. There we go. Uh, so so he, missed, he missed like 15 games to do an injury. And that'll do it. I mean, you're given uh, – that's another – That's a, it puts him at 150 games basically, so – 15 games, uh, four plate appearances for games, 60. That would give him over 600 plate appearances. That's still not a full, totally full slate. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I guess the the the, the projection does uh, have 640 plate appearances in it and does up his runs and RBI totals. And, and honestly, those could go up further if the lineup improves at all. So mm-hmm. I just doubt that. I doubt that. I think that most people will pay for a 290 batting average. Yeah, I agree, and I think that that's that's something that we're still a little skeptical of. Sure, he, he reminds me of a, a guy I just wrote about is like a better Desmond Jennings. At least he's a more accomplished hitter. Like he's he's successful more so because of his athleticism and talent than he is because of his acumen. 
and that, yeah. like you said, that's not going to age well. It's not very, it's not very refined, and for the most part, it's the refined approaches that that do age better. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of refined approach pr- approaches, Billy Hamilton. Is he going to find his way onto Eno Saris' team next year? I think what's interesting – I mean, I liked uh, – was it Sullivan's piece? Uh, he did something on why – one of those guys did something on why Ham, why didn't Hamilton steal more bases. I mean, he stole. I was like, this was starting to cheat on him more. And, right. And you know, we're starting to develop uh, slide step, you know, deliveries just for him. Um. I don't know if I sort of t- I'm going to take the name off of the, the the this sheet here for a second. Okay. Um, and I'm going to see a ton of stolen bases. I would guess that this guy is a, a shortstop. Um, 292 on base percentage, but still has 56 stolen bases. I would guess he's a shortstop uh, on a bad team. And uh, because you don't get 56 stolen bases unless you're near the top of the lineup. And if you're near the top of the lineup and you have a 292 batting uh, on base percentage, you're costing your team some. So um, there's uh, there's definitely some a chance to get better uh, because you know you look at the age 24. Um, you look at he had way better walk rates in the minor leagues, uh, so there could be some refinement there. Good swing strike rate 7.6 percent. Um, and uh, you can tell that he had a lot of defensive value, so he's going to stay on the field. I don't think his floor is that low. I think, you know, worst-case scenario, he turns into a D-first uh, Juan Ligares type. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Juan, we're not talking about why about Juan Ligares losing his job, you know? Um, so, you know, if Juan Ligares can keep his job, Billy Hamilton can keep his job. And Billy Hamilton has more offensive upside, um, you know, better, better floor, better ceiling. Uh, just depends on what people want to pay for. Yeah, I think that's where that's where I'm concerned because I've I've heard rumors around the interwebs that uh, folks kind of think, well, this is like the next step is potentially for this guy to be kind of a top 25 or top 30 player overall kind of thing. And I don't I don't know how widespread that view is, but um, certainly as a player, I mean, I think based on Sullivan's piece, I mean, certainly I think that. Uh, as he learns the league and learns how pitchers, I mean, that's those things happen when you do, when you do something pit uh, opponents try to figure out ways to keep you from doing something. (laughs) So that's not, that's not totally surprising. And he's not like he's, he's faster than the average base dealer, but he's not so much faster that like, he just is like, yeah, well I'm going to go this time. Like it's those things obviously clear. And he Sullivan demonstrated that those clearly things clearly, can make a bit of a difference, and they did. Uh, certainly, he can get better at reading the moves, and the, I mean, we've seen the impacts of coaches and things like that. He could just get better on his own. So all those things are possible, but it becomes a question of how much do you pay for a guy who might win you a category, uh, but until he's seen you, until he's given you the evidence that he will, is it really worth it to pay? Like he's, I mean, somebody might pay as if he's already going to win them the category, and we've seen that you can come up with stolen bases much more cheaply. Yeah, the um, I mean the, the one wrinkle uh, for fantasy over real life is um, I mean if you if you determine that which I think we have determined after a year I mean you don't want to use one year defensive stats but I think just from watching him and and just in general the the, the consensus is he's a good enough defender so if you determine that he's going to be on the team and going to get 600 uh, plate appearances just based mostly on his defense 
and then you determine that uh, you're not in an on-base percentage league, so you don't really care about his on-base percentage. Um, now you're talking about a player who's going to hit for league average, batting average, have great speed, uh, representative power. I mean, not not no power, not Ben Revere, right? So you're talking about a guy who you might spend twice as much on than Ben Revere. Uh, but if you're going to only spend a dollar on Ben Revere, that changes things. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he, you know, he's better than Ben Revere. I think he, How many of his home runs? How many of his? Huh? I mean, I saw a few of them, but how many? I mean, he had to have. There has to be at least one, at least one or two, maybe two of those home runs is uh, inside the park, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. Oh, but Ben Revere had two two homers. My God. Yes. He's I, breaking out. Yeah. <laughs> I'd still project zero next year. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I think I had three. I'm like, what? I think that's zero. Um, I think you know. I might own him. I, I bet you that package adds up pretty good. Well, well, how did he end with us? How did he end with us? Yeah, how did he end on our board? Here we go. Revere? Oh, he was yeah. uh, up there, uh, uh, just bu- just above Hamilton, basically ranked the same. They earned. Oh, eight. really? Yeah. Which is or understandable. They- ben Revere hit 306. Uh, and Ben Revere, Revere has that ability to hit that kind, for that kind of average. I think he has infield, I mean, yeah, infield hits, bunts. Uh, and slap singles, all those things. He is kind of he he has he has those things down. Um, yeah, but this was like a, a breakout year still in base wise for Revere. Whereas, oh, certainly, was, I'm not saying I and I would hardly recommend paying for well, what he did this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So going forward, I'd rather pay what Billy Hamilton did this season than what Ben Revere did this season because, uh, you know, Billy Hamilton also. Learn switch hitting in the minors, and um, you know is less of a formed thing. You know, so I think um, I'd pay top twenty five prices for Billy Hamilton. I mean, he was twenty six. Would I pay top twenty? Uh, who do I think he's gonna? Who do I think he's gonna jump over? Um, you know, Melky might drop off. Denard Spawn, I do not think is gonna steal thirty bases next year. No, certainly not. Uh, Denard Spawn came down uh, with a twenty dollar value next year. I wouldn't spend more than two dollars on Denard Spawn next year, maybe five dollars. Because that's the type uh, of player he's typically been in seasons prior to this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I see some guys he'll jump over. I would spend twenty bucks on Billy Hamilton. I'd spend twenty bucks on Billy Hamilton. You know, considering that I, you know, would maybe spend thirty bucks on my starting outfielder. If I did something like Nelson Cruz was Billy Hamilton, I don't know if I want to spend on Nelson Cruz. But if I did Jose Bautista plus Billy Hamilton, that's a crazy, crazy combo right there. That's pretty good. It's you know, and you might get the two of them for forty-five bucks combined, and that would be your your top two outfielders. And I know there's a lot of there's a decent amount of risk with Bautista and injury, but between the two of them, I mean, it's fairly established talents. In terms of homers and stolen bases, I mean, not sure. great batting average, but but who needs that really in a, in a league where the average uh, the league average is two fifty one or two fifty three? That's a yeah. <laughs> if, you get, if you can get the two for forty dollars, that means basically you got them in your third and fourth round picks, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that means those are your third and fourth round guys. That means you've got two guys that are better. So that means it's Jose Bautista, Billy Hamilton. Um, uh, Josh Donaldson and Paul Goldschmidt. 
You know what I mean? That's not I, bad. I a hat, but like that means that you've got no. That's 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 not bad. And that means you've got like so many good stats. And yeah, you ignored middle infield, but you got all these great stats. And then you then you take a couple middle, you take three or four middle infielders for two or three spots, and you you do for quantity over quality. And you you ignored position scarcity a little bit, but you got a ton of stats. I mean, if that if that was your top four, you would have a um, hundred home runs and uh, uh, seventy five stolen bases. Yeah, that's that's half of your that's half of my benchmarks. Yeah, in your first four players, that's pretty good. So you'd have ten more players to to make up the rest of the other half. I think, I think, uh, I think Hamilton can be part of a winning solution for sure. I think we have just we have just learned uh, Eno's draft strategy next season, and for folks who face him in future drafts. Well, uh, I'm always trying to look for. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm always, I'm always trying to buy, like, uh, I'm always trying to buy like three top twenty-five guys. Yeah, I think that's somewhat well, and that's that's a little different from the approach I end up usually taking. But I, because I don't always spend for that. But it's more, it's a much more well, no, rational I don't, approach. I don't ever, I almost never have top five guys. Is what I'm saying. I, I, right. You know, top five, top seven. Those guys spend take a lot of money. But I try to get someone, you know, usually in the sort of uh, thirty dollar range, and then a couple twenty dollar guys. And then a couple twenty dollar pitchers, you know, not even twenty dollars, a couple fifteen dollar pitchers, and it's like it's like just like I said with a with pitching, I my general strategy is just get a bunch of number twos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's not a bad approach. I think if you look at the list of number twos any given year, um, you're looking at a list of of Cy Young candidates. I mean, fancy number twos at least. Um, there are so many times when a, a guy jumps out of that out of that pack and becomes a Cy Young candidate. So, in any case, I don't, I don't want to pay retail on a star. You know, it, for the most part, they're post peak. I did it one time, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I did it one time in the, in my in a twelve team league, and 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 I won. Uh, but any time it gets deeper than twelve teams, depth becomes really important. Yep. That's where I think ultimately it comes down to in a in a mixed league, and especially like a twelve team mixed league or shallower. Uh, it's a lot easier to rationalize that, and basically, it, it pays often to buy stars more so because the replacement level is is a lot better. But yeah, once you yeah. get anything deeper than that, replacement. Also, <laughs> worth thinking about is for injury too, like the Jose Bautista, um, the Jose Bautista idea, um, you know, with Billy Hamilton and stuff. Buying Jose Bautista is a lot more uh, interesting in a in a shallower league than it is in a deeper league uh, it's hard it's harder to buy jose bautista and and what is an actual injury hist- history uh for a thing like al labor um just because you know when he goes down you're looking at some nasty stuff on the wire true yeah it's different it's definitely different in a yeah, the the risk to 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 fall from that spot is definitely different. That for a really an eloquent way or uneloquent or whatever the appropriate uh, prefix is to eloquent, not a great way to put it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally agree that that's it becomes a little bit different of a proposition. 
And that kind of gets at, I mean, this is a, a question we had before we wrap up. I mean, there's certainly some more outfielders we could talk about. There are a ton of outfielders. Um, but before we wrap up, just and, and hopefully we get to talk about them more throughout the offseason. I think we will. Um, but well, you know, when we when we switch to sort of previewing, you know, don't worry if we've missed a guy you want us to talk about. I mean, tell us, first of all. Yeah. And when we switch to previewing, we're doing, you know, it's going to be totally different. <laughs> no, I mean, we'll be we'll be the same is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, <laughs> players again. I mean, uh, and, and we'll be right back to talking about a lot of these players. But it'll be a little bit slightly different focus on the site. We'll be talking about um, depth charts. So. Uh, we'll be talking about sort of how the Dodgers outfield is going to shake out, that sort of thing. Uh, but, um, you know, here we'll still be talking in a very similar matter. So if you have the guys that, you, that we missed, uh, please please let us know. Yeah, for sure. And just the question I alluded to is it's one we had kind of hanging in, hanging in, uh, in the balance uh, for uh, – several weeks, a couple of months now, but just wanted to quickly, we had a a listener who asked, you know, that at the time he thought it was early, too early to be talking about next season, but that he wanted to get our thoughts on just, you know, how is it, is it rational to uh, to wait even more so on pitching than he used to? He used to grab a pitcher. I'm assuming in a mixed league, wait till round seven or eight. And now he's talking about waiting until round 10 to 12 or sometime in there to get a pitcher. And, I mean, at some point, it'd be nice to get, like, I think this kind of goes along with what you were saying about, like, wanting to get some number twos because in a, in a particular season, like, that's still, it's it's still a good time in round seven or eight. Like, that's when you can get your number twos and kind of put together your, uh, in any particular season, potential fantasy aces uh, for that same, that kind of cost. So, I mean, ultimately, you don't want to completely ignore pitching. Offense is, is the premium on offense is certainly greater, uh, but you do run into a point where, uh, you're asking probably a little too much of all your fantastic uh, end of draft picks because they're not all going to work out. So, I mean, that's generally the way I would approach it. At some point, you do want a nice foundation of what you know typically targets is like the you know the fantasy number twos, and that's typically what about what I target as well. That's about when I look to do it. Yeah, I have found also that I kind of want number two closers because I used to do something where I almost didn't pick a closer at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting out of that habit, but I'm in the same boat. I typically go for the number two types. Because if if you don't buy any of the good closers, you're going to have a lot of bad closers. I mean, and you can you can still win, but it does have a deleterious effect on your team ERA. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know you have a lot of Ronaldo Belisario outings on your ledger. You will get those saves, but you also get some nasty ERAs. And I just found that my whip and my ERAs and sometimes my strikeout rates and stuff, they would just, they'd, they'd get hurt too much. So, you know, I don't know who to target this year. This year. I haven't really looked at, at, um, at the numbers, but it's like a guy like David Carpenter who came up, I would want him, but I would want him later on. I'd still want to buy one guy, maybe not Jansen, maybe not Kimbrell, uh, but, um, Maybe Storin, you know, maybe uh, Wehara, you know, you know, just somebody who's established, who's had a lot of great whips, um, who's probably going to keep the job if he doesn't get injured. If he does get injured, I just try and get the, the, you know, try to get the injury replacement. But buy into a good bullpen somewhere because I don't want, I don't want a bunch of guys with four ERAs and, and 20 saves on my team at the end of the year. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. 
Well, I think that is going to do it for this episode of The Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, Eno, thank you, as always, for joining us and, sh- and sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having me. We wouldn't have it any other way, except for, <laughs> except for the times where we have no Literally. choice. Yes. Well, <laughs> except for the times you're not here. <laughs> yes, except for the times you're not here, but usually that's because we don't have, an, uh, we don't have any choice. Uh-huh. And we, we have to get someone else, and we, we're uh, then happy to take a consolation prize. No offense to the people who have filled in for Eno. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am Nicholas Minix. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, we look forward to our next episode of The Sleeper and the Bus. This was episode number 179. Thank you and good day. Boom.